As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Ladies and gentlemen, the time has come. What's better than this? Guys being dudes. The Athletic presents Hogan Johns. Hogan Johns. From CHGO, it's Adam Ho, and from The Athletic, it's Adam Johns. It's one of the craziest games that I've covered live. That crazy for me. I feel like, how many times a season do we say that? Yeah, but this one, like, I know. In the red zone. (laughs) I'm I'm not disputing what you're saying. I'm just like, how does this franchise keep doing this? Anyway, uh, who cares? Here they are, the Adams, Hogan Johns. What's up? Welcome in, Hogue and Johns, with you one week away from the NFL Draft. If only we had a time machine, we could just go to next Thursday, that'd be great. <laughs> I thought you enjoy this time. I do, and then it gets, it definitely gets. Wasn't there a year they put, no, they pushed the draft back a year. That was like, it was oh, one. Oh yeah, it was like uh, three years ago. Yeah, it was like one week ago. later, but it felt like one month later. It's like, come on. And everybody was, and even the NFL was like, yeah, we're going to move it back up. Yeah, we're ready. Let's get this over with. Yeah. So uh, anyway, welcome in. We got a fun episode for you today where we're going to be heavy on the offensive line. And, and who better to bring in than the offensive line expert in Brandon Thorne, um, who's been with us before. Um, and he's... I mean, he really, if you want O-line play, and, and none of us on this show ever pretend to be O-line experts, that's for sure, and Brandon Thorne really is one. So uh, he's he, not, not only does he know what he's talking about, like just in terms of technique and stuff, he has this amazing series that we'll get into with him uh, where he actually talked to, I think, at least 10 different offensive linemen, many of which could be in play for the Bears early on in this draft, uh, breaking down film with them. So a lot of offensive line knowledge coming your way in this episode. Make sure you're following us on Twitter, at Adam Hogue, at Adam Johns. Um, You should be reading us, allchgo.com for me, theathletic.com slash Hogan Johns for Johnsy. And... um, I'm excited about this episode, but you told me right before we started that you had a question for yeah, me. Yeah, here's my conundrum. Okay. How about that word? It's a big word for this morning, conundrum. I'm putting in my final mock draft for the Bears, 
And I am struck by like how many good offensive linemen there could be in play, like late in the second round, mid second round, like if you want to move around a bit. So the question I have for you, knowing you have all these good potential offensive linemen back there, Matthew Bergeron, Steve Avila, Joe Tittman, you could go on and on, My, My, Michael John Schmitz. Do you make that move for that pass rusher or even that three technique early in the first round, even at number nine? Like, do you consider Nolan Smith at number nine? Do you kind of hope that Tyree Wilson goes there? Do you take Lucas Van Ness maybe a couple picks earlier than you want at number nine, knowing that there are more offensive linemen in your value bucket in the second round? That's my conundrum for this morning as I debate with myself what to do at number nine for the Bears. So it's like a supply and demand type problem. Like it's a good year for pass rushers, but some of these guys are old. Yeah. Like Will McDonald's 24. Keon, um, Keon White, right, from uh, Georgia Tech? Yeah. He's 24 already. Like that's a problem to me. I don't want to take a guy that's old, that, that old. Yeah. Not that that's um, old. You know what I'm getting at. No, I got, I got you. I got you. The guy from Auburn's interesting. Derek uh, Hall. Yeah. The, I, I, no, this is a conundrum. And to answer your question, I've been kind of struggling with, okay, how many times did Ryan Poles say that when they move back to nine, he still thought he could get one of his blue players? But... And if you think about it that way, if they're if they're keen on getting one of those blue players and they still think they can, then they probably wouldn't trade back. But what if that last blue player available is Jalen Carter? Like, I'm just wondering if this conundrum you brought up is actually a conundrum inside Hallis Hall right now. Yeah. And, I'm sure it is. And, and because they're sitting there and they're going, well, this is risky, but... They agree with what you just said, and there's all these other players, especially linemen, whether offensive line or defensive line, that they like. And yeah, they're, maybe they're all red players on their board, but if they can get multiple reds and kind of avoid that Jalen Carter conundrum, that's the uh, key word of the day, apparently. Conundrum. Yeah. It's fascinating to think about, but, but you also have to have that trade partner. You can't well, just say, oh, trade back. It, it's Say you're stuck at nine. Do you try to play the strengths of the draft or based on your value buckets mm-hmm. where your value bucket of red players in the second round, those are very good starters according to the Bears grading system. Like There's a bunch of offensive linemen in there in the second round, but there's not a lot of pass rushers. There's not a lot of three techniques. So do you have to strike early in the first round, even at number nine, to address a need. Maybe earlier than maybe your bucket says to do, but sometimes that's how the draft works. Yeah, maybe. I would still be careful with that. With where the Bears I don't are. I'm not saying you're yeah. forcing the need, but I'm saying like do you take a Nolan Smith over a Skronsky? Do you take a Nolan Smith over a Paris Johnson Jr.? Well, if you're knowing asking- you could get a Matthew Burge round later, sorry. I'll tell you what, on specifically since you've mentioned Nolan Smith, I've made kind of a controversial decision on him. Maybe we can get Brandon Thornton's take on this too. But And this was specifically, as Brandon jumps in here with us right now, what's going on, Brandon? Hey, what's up, guys? 
appreciate you joining us today. This was actually after listening to Nate Tice and Deontay Lee talk about the edge rushers on the athletic football show the other day. I think I, I, I can't, I don't think I can justify Nolan Smith as much as I like him as a prospect and like across the board, athleticism, character, but in the bear scheme, he's just to me, not a four, three defensive end. Like I'd almost rather want to make him a will linebacker in the Bears defense. So to me, if you're asking me specifically about him, I don't think I can do it at number nine. But I, Brandon knows way more than me when it comes to line play. So I, not that we're starting with defensive line, but we kind of are now. But I'd love <laughs> to hear your take on that. Yeah, I I wish that I watched Nolan more. You know, he this this past year, you know, he didn't really play. I don't I don't think much. Um, you know, at least in the games that I watched. So. But I mean, I've seen glimpses of him. I mean, and I think the they hit it on it, hit on his pluses in that podcast in terms of, even though he's 235, 240 pounds, he's very physical, aggressive. Uh, you love the way he plays the run, but you know, ultimately, you know, being 240 pounds is probably going to be a liability in the run game. Um, and uh, obviously, a very explosive guy. He could turn into more as a pass rusher down the road. But right now. Uh, you know, his plan as a rusher is a little underdeveloped. So, yeah, I mean, at nine, that does seem rich. You know, I agree there. So, yeah, I, ideally you get him a little bit later, uh, you know, than that, I think. All right. Well, be sure you're following Brandon at Brandon Thorne NFL on Twitter. Check out his Trench Warfare newsletter. Visit trenchwarfare.substack.com to subscribe. I, I do. Fantastic stuff there. You can find them on YouTube, too. If you're, if you're on this, watching us on YouTube, type in Brandon Thorne. Find his website, uh, his webpage, too, his YouTube page. Hit subscribe there as well. You read all his scouting reports on Bleacher Report as well. Brandon, thanks for joining us. Um, Absolutely. Peter Skronsky. Um Let's start there because he's a hot subject here in Chicago. Yeah. Might be one of the best offensive linemen, if not the best offensive lineman in this draft class. But his arms are too short. Are we making too much of that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really interesting discussion. I agree that, you know, for me, he's the best offensive lineman in the draft. Um, position is a little bit up in the air. I could go either way, you know, tackle or guard. I mean, the common common kind of like conversation around him is, you know, start him a tackle. If it doesn't work out, go inside, you know, and I, I think that's probably valid. Um, you know, I just, I think the best way to frame it is, you know, if he's playing tackle, you're, you know, in my opinion, you're probably getting like, a, and I heard you guys alluding to this terminology. So your listeners probably know like red and blue players, you know, you're probably getting a red tackle and a blue guard, you know, like elite or good, you know, and, that's how I, that's how I see it. I mean, it just depends on the specific offensive line, the team, you know, for you guys in Chicago, I probably would start him at tackle um, just because of the need there. But ideally he's playing guard just because in my opinion, I'd rather have the elite player, even if it's a guard. Um, and, you know, I've seen Joel Petonio play tackle in, in spurts, Joe Tooney in spurts. Um, you know, I don't know if Brandon Scherf has done it, uh, Ali Marpet, I think did it a little bit. I mean, all these guys, you know, when I have seen those guys play tackle, they're clearly not the same player. Uh, they're fine. They can get you out of a game. They, they could be functional, but there's a reason why they're playing inside, you know, and, uh, that's kind of how I see Skronsky, you know, um, 
but he is the best. He's the best blocker. He's the best offensive lineman in the draft. It's just, yeah, position wise is a little fluid. And I think that's a, it's a valid question. I had to laugh. You, I mean, you have these great video breakdowns with, with these offensive linemen. You did one with Skaronsky. You guys watched 30 plays uh, together, went over the film and, um, but before you got it in the plays, you you know you asked him about his long, his arm strength, and and I actually believe him when he says this. He he was like, I didn't even know that this was a thing until like we got to the draft season, uh, that he even had short arms, be and, and I kind of believe it because this dude's been so dominant at every level. Uh, you know he he walked he went as a five star recruit at Maine South. He walks right off the field in Park Ridge, goes over to Evanston and starts in his first big 10 game as a true freshman, uh, at left tackle and never really looked back. So why would he ever think his arms were a problem? So now he's got all these NFL teams saying, well, you know, you're you don't meet the threshold. And it's like, yeah, but he kind of has everything else. So, um, well, I would counter that by saying so does Joe Blatonio, so does Zach Martin, so does Ali Marpet, so does Elijah Vera Tucker, so does Brandon Scherf. The list goes on and on and on. They all are in the same situation. And then, you know, come to the NFL, it's like, oh, man, I got to play guard. Um, yeah. You know, that's just the way it is sometimes, I think. I mean, he could be another outlier, like kind of like Rashawn Slater, even though I see them differently. But a, a lot, all those guys I just mentioned and many more, they were coming out with the same kind of thing, studs, total stud tackles, you know, against good competition their whole career. And then in the NFL, they can't play tackle. So, you know, I mean, that's just kind of the way it is sometimes, I think. Um, either way, I mean, I, I would pick him, you know, probably before everybody else regardless. So with those guys that you just mentioned, did they, I mean, how many of them just moved inside just because? Or did they get up? You know, how many of them actually got the opportunity to play tackle and just really couldn't do it because of the, you know, the level of competition and how much arm length really does matter? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a chicken or the egg kind of thing. You know, all those guys, did they go into a situation where there was a perennial all pro left tackle in place? I, I don't recall uh, that happening all the time, but some of the time they did have a stud left tackle, like Brandon Scherf, they had Trent Williams. Um, you know, I think when Batonio got there, they had Joe Thomas. Um, but if, if you, if you have a guy who you think could be an elite tackle and there's already one in place, you would think when that guy leaves, you just put him at tackle. So, you know, and like I said, you watched Joe Tooney last year, play left tackle. I think it was against Washington Montez sweat. He couldn't touch Montez sweat. He could barely get his hands on him. Um, you know, and Montez sweat is obviously kind of a different kind of edge rusher. He has, you know, almost 36 inch long arms, um, but that game was kind of rough for Tooney. He got he got through it. You know, they, he did it in a pinch. But, man, I wouldn't want Joe Tooney to play left tackle, you know, uh, full time. He just – he would be a totally different caliber caliber of player. Then um, it gets mitigated a little bit inside. Uh, I think when he got to New England, I can't recall who the left tackle was um, at that time. Nate Solder maybe, who was okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess a lot of the times, you know, or some of the time at least – I mean, Ali Marpet got to Tampa. He he started. He played center, right guard, left guard. I don't think he really played tackle. They didn't really have a great tackle in place, I don't think, either. Um, so it's a case-by-case thing. You know, it depends on the team, depends on the unit. Um, you know, I think it's valid, like I said, to, you know, start him at tackle, see if he could just be a good player there. And if you want just a good tackle, I think that's probably what you would get with Skronsky. But if you want a, an all-pro guard, 
you know, that's on the table as well, depending on what you want. Brandon, two-part question for you. You had, so so this video of Skronsky is 40 minutes long, and I encourage everybody to, to go find it and, and watch it. It's just great stuff. Like, what struck you about how he talked about his his own skills, like his own technique, like just maybe the the way he articulated like his own play. And then like how did like in terms of your rankings, like how did he separate himself from some of the other offensive tackles where he's your number one offensive line prospect? Yeah, so just talking to him, I mean, you could just just tell the the attention to detail stood out, um, the professionalism, just uh just how a matter of fact, a lot of the things were that he was explaining, you know, like you could just tell he's been really dialed in to playing offensive line for a long time. I still remember the first time I saw him, I think he was, gosh, when did that famous kind of popular video come out of him doing that vertical set? He was in high school. Yeah. Um, And uh, you know, come to find out he's pretty much idolized Joe Thomas his whole, his whole life. And it almost looks sped up. You know, like if you go find it, like it it almost looks like it was right. Like an an edited video of how fast he, he went vertically back. And that's the thing with him and a lot of all, pretty much all those guys I mentioned that are playing guard that played tackle in college and him, you know, Skronsky as well. He has the feet of a left tackle, no doubt. Uh, You know, the, 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 the footwork, the foot quickness, um he can recover well like his feet are definitely tackle material um that's that's you know not a question at all and you see that on film um but yeah just talking to him i think those are the things that stood out to me um very thoughtful you know in in, uh his responses and he can explain things and articulate it really well um you know i don't think that that's a prerequisite to be a good offensive lineman to be able to you know be articulate and explain things very well but it, it definitely helps uh, you know, kind of understand what makes him so good. Some guys, I've talked to some guys over the years that, you know, when you sit down and talk football with them, it's it's funny and they're good players now in the NFL that it's just so like natural to them. They they don't necessarily explain it, you know, in the in the most detail or the best way. They're just like, yeah, he did this and I did that. And it was just like, it, you know, it just kind of came to them. Um, so it's kind of funny, Every you know, just the different kind of style of, you know, kind of person and, and approach that can be there. But yeah, that, those are the things that stood out uh, with, with, to me with Skaronsky and the things that separate him, I think from everybody else is just a level of consistency in his technique. You know, he's the most refined and polished offensive lineman in the draft. Um, you know, there's, there's not a lot of guesswork here in terms of what you're getting um, with footwork, with hand placement, Um, with ability to recover um, aiming points, landmarks, set points, you know, getting to the right spot at the right time, um, you know, understanding the play's intent, being in good positions, playing with good leverage. You know, this, that's why I compared him to Joe Tooney because everything I just said is is to me, that's Joe Tooney since he came out of NC State, you know, total stud left tackle at NC State, came out, played guard, and he was really good right away, but, you know, a little undersized, uh, not, you know, the thing with Skaronsky, and I've said this as well, differentiating factor with him and Slater. Yeah, Slater tested a little better, a little more athletic, but the biggest difference to me is um, in terms of how stout and powerful they are. Slater is is very different in that way compared to anybody else his size that I've seen. He He's really elite in that way. 
um, in terms of anchor. Like you saw, I studied every snap of Rashawn Slater as a rookie, and guys were testing his anchor left and right because they thought this guy's small. You know, I'm going to try to run right through him. And literally, like his anchor is as good as any tackle on either side in the NFL. I don't know that that would be the case with Skaronsky uh, coming in. Not that it would be bad or a liability. It's more, you know, above average. Um, so that's another differentiating factor um, that makes him a little bit more like Tooney because Tooney can get pushed back and he does get pushed back when you watch him play, but he never falls off a block. He never loses cleanly. And that's huge for offensive linemen. You want to try to identify the guys who, when things don't go, you know, as planned in a rep, are they losing clean or are they hanging on? Are they staying attached? Are they recovering just enough? And if they do that consistently, that's a skill. It's not luck. Um, and Tooney does that very well. I think Skronsky does that very well. Um, so, yeah, I think that's really what stood out to me is just, man, you know, I think uh, Robert Mays said it on our podcast as well, and I think it's a good description. When you watch him, it seems like his heart rate just never elevates. You know, he's calm, he's smooth, he's fluid, you know, and uh, I think that's going to play really well in the NFL, um, you know, kind of almost regardless of where he plays. But like I said, I just I think it'll be a little bit more of a his ceiling's a little higher inside. That's all. So let's uh, if it's not Skaronsky, let's talk about some of these other guys that could be in play in the first round uh, specifically for what the Bears do in their scheme, which uh, which players would you say would be totally justified for the Bears to take at, at number nine? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think Paris Johnson and Broderick Jones are the probably the, the, the only two options uh, on the table, really, um, for for tackle. Uh, at number nine, um, th- that's a little high for me for both of them. But, you know, in this class for that situation, you know, you're probably going to have to take them there, uh, you know, if you want them uh, at the same time. So um, with that said, you know, because I have more like middle middle first round grades on them, not top 10 grades. Uh, but, they're, you know, I think it could be justified as well, you know, just because of the the ceilings there. The physical tools there for both of these guys are certainly there to develop into, you know, at least above average starting tackles in the NFL. I think that's certainly viable. It's just uh, the road to get there, you know, might be uh, a little bit longer than you would ideally want for a left tackle, you know, inside the top 10. But that said, you know, Paris Johnson, I give him the the little bit of an edge over Broderick Jones. Um, I think he's a little bit more refined. Uh, than Broderick Jones, uh, specifically using his hands, although he's not super refined, that can still kind of fall apart for him. He can let guys get inside of him, get underneath him a little bit too often in pass protection, uh, which can cause you know a little bit of a, a late anchor. Um, that that happens uh, with him, but I really like the way he you know stays attached to blocks in the run game. I think he's a very sticky run blocker. You know, once he once he gets his hands on somebody, he does a really good job of moving his feet, uh, playing with good positional leverage uh, to to stay inside out on guys, um, wall them off, seal them off. Um, he's very athletic, so he can do a lot of the same things that Broderick Jones can do on the move. Uh, you know, you see the franchise left tackle pulling, leading around the edge, kicking out the force corner. That's kind of like Trent Williams. You know, when you see Trent Williams do it, it's like, you know, that's the pinnacle. But a lot of franchise left tackle guys like Rashawn Slater and plenty of other guys do that at a high level. You see both these guys do that. They can do it at a high level. You know, they can be a weapon in the run game. 
Um, you know, if you want to run pin pull, you know, toss sweep, you know, you know, those kind of concepts. Um, so I see that for them as well. Uh, both of them have pretty much ideal physical traits in terms of height, weight, length. Uh, they tested well. They're both, you know, above average athletically, if not more. Uh, Broderick is a little bit more powerful than Paris uh, to me. Paris is a little bit more smooth and silky. You know, it just kind of depends on what you would want. I, I think for Chicago, based on, uh, you know, them liking Braxton Jones, um, he's a little bit more of a powerful, rugged kind of guy who can create a little bit more displacement, uh, you know, on the at the point of attack. That, to me, s- speaks more to Broderick Jones than Paris Johnson. Um, so I, I just think Broderick is the most raw of these guys. He's essentially a one-year starter. Uh, you know, they're all 21, so they're all very young, long runway to improve, but I just think Broderick is the most raw. So, you know, it's going to be a take your pick there. I think it just depends. So your video series, like other than Skronsky, there's, there's a few other players, or I would say even maybe all of them (laughs) could interest the bears later in the first round, like with Darnell Wright, if they happen to move back from nine. Mm-hmm. But also like in the in the second round, you have like Anton Harrison, John Michael Schmitz, Joe Tippmann. What stood out to you about about those guys? And then like some a lot of your, your interviews are with centers. Like who who's your favorite center in this draft who could be a potential option maybe day two for the Bears? Yeah. Um so Anton Harrison, we can start with him. Um you know, I, I think uh, Anton Harrison checks pretty much all the boxes physically uh, in terms of height, weight, length, uh, also play strength and power. I've seen concerns about those things, you know, elsewhere in, in some publications and from analysts and stuff, but I just didn't see it. Maybe it was in 2021, uh, but 2022, I, I saw a guy who has really good play strength, um, a little bit inconsistent technically, which, you know, can result in kind of getting driven back and guys getting inside of him, but I mean, you know, when he connects, he's he's dishing out a lot of power. Um, he can maintain his base through contact. Uh, certainly has the quickness, I think, to stay at tackle and succeed on an island. He has the range to play tackle. Um, he's very young. He's a little bit younger than all these guys. Uh, so I think, you know, it's certainly uh, like viable to expect him to, you know, mature physically still over the next two, three, four years. Um, so that's the thing with him that I like so much is, you know, he still has some things to clean up for sure, uh, technically, but man, what you're getting physically, what you're getting technically already at this point in his career, when he's 21, just turned 21, I mean, you got five years where this guy could improve, you, you know, for sure. Um, so the, the runway is very long. His best football is ahead of him. Um, you know, that's how I feel about him. He's, he's definitely like a, a no-brainer second-round pick to me. If you want to maybe at the very end of the first, I, I wouldn't think that's crazy either. Um, but, you know, I think my biggest concern with him is is the scheme that he came from at Oklahoma. You know, it's it's a little gimmicky, um, you know, it's especially, uh, you know, pass-wise, pass, pass wise, passing game-wise. It's a 60-40 run-pass split. Uh, so he's run-blocking, you know, the vast majority of the time which is fine, but when they do pass, it's RPO, it's quick pass, it's play action, a lot of screens, you know, package plays, you know, it's just, it's kind of hard to watch sometimes, but when you watch enough of his film, you will see true dropback passes and you will see him on an island against a wide nine technique. So the reps are there. 
And on those reps, I think he performed pretty well. So he can do it. He just wasn't asked to do it a lot. So there's going to be a, a learning curve there, I think, with Anton Harrison more so than these other guys. That's why I have him where I do. Uh, but certainly a guy, I think, you know, that could fit, you know, what uh, what Chicago does and, you know, could, could be a immediate starter, um, you know, maybe solid average at first. And you're, you're betting on two, three years down the line with Anton Harrison to me. Um, so that's how I feel about him. And then you mentioned center. Center is my favorite position uh, to evaluate, period. I just I, I love the, the nuance involved with playing center. Um, I love talking to centers because they're often the guy. It's funny, like nobody wants to play offensive line, first of all. And if you do play offensive line, you want to play tackle at least because, you know, at least you're going to get some attention. If you're playing center, I mean, people aren't going to notice you, especially if they're watching the game on TV. I mean, you know, they're not going to notice you. So when you watch them on film, it's just great to see the pre-snap phase, you know, how they quarterback the line. They orchestrate things. You know, they're setting guys up. They're doing the mic point. They're doing adjustments. Um, you know, processing skills is so huge for center, and you can really see it kind of unfold on tape. So that's fun. And when you talk to them, they're also – it's like talking to a quarterback kind of. You know, they're, they know so much about what the defense is doing, safety rotations, uh, linebacker movement. Um, you know, they know everybody's job on the offensive line. It's just that, – that's the kind of guy you're, you, you, you want at center – they're natural leaders. Um, and uh, when you could get a guy who's athletic and strong and big and all that, that's just, you know, those are pluses for sure. Um, so, yeah, this class, my favorite center, I'd go with John Michael Schmitz, um, you know, and then Joe Tipman is number two. Uh, Tipman, I think, has a higher ceiling. He's more, you know, athletic, you know, bigger and more athletic than Schmitz. But I think Schmitz is stronger. Uh, and more like seasoned, you know, um, just a little bit more ready to go. I think his floor is a little higher than Titman. Titman's ceiling is a little higher. So it depends on which way you want to go. Both second round grades um, for me. Um, Titman more like late second. Titman reminds me a lot of Josh Myers coming out of Ohio State, who's I think in year two or three with Green Bay right now. Uh, very similar player. Um, Josh Myers is 6'5 plus, you know, Titman 6'6". So very tall centers who could potentially play guard um, coming from Wisconsin. You know, they run a lot of pin pull. He's on the move. His best work is on the move, um, which is crazy to see at 6'6", 315. So he, he he has a very kind of a niche skill set, I would say. Uh, on the first level, you know, it's not as clean. He, he can he, he plays high, you know, he's 6'6", you know, and falls off blocks. He's on the ground a little too much. That stuff could get cleaned up potentially, but Schmitz, he's just more of a strong, like a Ben Jones. He's a little bit bigger Ben Jones to me. Uh, solid, you know, that's probably his floor and his ceiling, you know, is just solid. And um, that's, you know, th that's how I kind of feel about those guys and why I enjoyed talking to both of those guys. And, and then there's some later round centers that I really like as well. So, um, can we? There's. I think the only guy that we probably definitely need to hit on that we haven't yet is Darnell Wright because mm -hmm. there's definitely been some smoke with him with the Bears and maybe that's a that's a trade back, uh, you know, option. I I also had somebody tell me though, like, don't be completely shocked if they went all the way at nine, uh, which sounds like it'd be rich for you. But tell us what you think about Darnell Wright and how he might fit with the Bears. 
Yeah, really, really liked Arnold right right away. I mean, you know, back in January is when I put my grade on him and late first round, early second, you know, is kind of where I see him going and uh, or at least where I would ideally want to take him. But, yeah, he could certainly go higher. He thing with him is, you know, 2022 was so much better than the previous seasons uh, at Tennessee. He has that underachiever tag, um, you know, and that is a little worrisome, especially in the top 10. You know, why weren't you this player, you know, over the course of your entire career? Um, so that's the biggest question, you know, with Darnell Wright. But physically, um, you know, 6'5", 330 plus, a massive dude, uh, broad shoulders, barrel chest, you know, power, just a power-oriented guy, um, can move guys on command, can anchor on command, um, you know, a little bit more athletic than you would think. He reminds me a lot of Leo Collins uh, coming out of LSU. Um, just very similar, I think. And I, I think he could be that caliber of player potentially as well. And I'm talking, you know, 2018, 2019 Leo Collins before he had all those injuries. Um, you know, 2019 Leo Collins with Dallas was probably the best run blocking right tackle in football. I think that's in the range of outcomes for Darnell Wright as well. Uh, you know, he could be a really good, really special run blocker for sure. Um, and he has more balance than you would think at a guy that big. So, the you know, former five-star recruit, all that. So he, you know, the pedigree is there. The talent is there. The 2022 film matches it, but nothing else does in terms of 2021 or 2020. So, you know, it's just, uh, you know, some questions that need to be answered there for sure. But talent-wise, he's worthy, I think, of that selection. It's just... Um, you know, what what uh, player are you getting long term, I think, is a valid question as well. So that's, you know, it kind of throws a wrench in it a little bit, but certainly has the talent and and, and the demeanor and the power and stuff like that. Brandon, my, my last question for you is when you're watching all these offensive linemen, like which defensive linemen are you making special note of? I think you had a tweet out there about Lucas Van Ness, about his like, power like just just yeah. off the line like who who stands out to you especially if you're the bears you're looking mid first round first round i mean that's um or just in general like who, who yeah. are the guys that stood out to you defensively when you're when you're grading these offensive linemen yeah um well i mean you know jalen carter aside he's i think he's the best player in the draft you know but um yeah, that obviously a lot of questions there but yeah jalen carter is total freaking stud but aside from him um, you know, Keanu Benton is one that, that stands out. I've been watching him for a couple of years. I remember 2021 against Tyler Linderbaum. That was a great tape to watch. Uh, he gave Tyler Linderbaum some problems, especially in the run game. Uh, this past year, I think you saw more of a pass rusher on film. Uh, and then he kind of um, validated that as well at the senior bowl. So he's primarily a run defending guy, you know, who's going to you know play inside the guards, you know, he could play a little three technique, two eye, two technique, shade, nose. Um, so he has that versatility a little bit there. He's going to be able to take on double teams and hold the point of attack uh, for sure. And then he has a little bit of wiggle to him and he has a little bit of a pass rush plan that he was showing this season as well, playing with his pads down a little bit more uh, as a pass rusher. So, yeah, I, I think he could be you know, I think he probably will be a long time starting defensive tackle in the NFL. His ceiling, you know, is up for debate, I think, but certainly a, a solid, you know, starter. Uh, he's definitely one. Um, Maisie Smith, you know, uh, I realize, you know, the production isn't there um, for what you would 
maybe think of as like a high end three technique, uh, which he's more so like a, you know, a nose tackle anyway, but he could play three, but man, the flashes of power that you see from Maisie Smith are just insane. Uh, so I would love to get a guy like that, you know, maybe ideally in the, in the second round, you know, just because there's some inconsistency there in terms of down in, down out production, but uh, he could be something, you know, probably really, I don't know about special, but definitely really valuable. He reminds me a lot of uh, David Onyemata. Uh, and I I'm, I'm mean like 2017, 2018, 2019, David Onyemata, um, just a powerful dude. Uh, his game against Steve, Steve Avila was incredible. Um, and even last year, um, going back, I think he played Linderbaum as well. Uh, he, he just has always flashed, you know, a guy you always just notice. You got to rewind a lot of his plays where it's like, you know, you just don't see that kind of power very often. So he has something special about him. Um, and then like off the edge, or you just wanted to talk about interior guys, right? No, just, just guys that like you're watching, like there's a, there's that clip out there, of Van Ness running over Skronsky. Mm-hmm. You know, or, or pushing yep. Paris Johnson Jr. right into CJ Stroud. You know, like how, how does, how do you, just, just your thoughts on, well, well, Van Ness and what those guys yeah. can bring. Yeah, Van Ness, you know, I think you touch on it right there. He he can bull rush you and he has power. Um, that's, no, those are not question marks with him at all. I think the biggest question with him is, um, you know, pass rush plan. Uh, you know, can he, can he win any other way? You know, because in the NFL, you're not going to be able to just run through guys. So, I mean, here and there you might be able to, like, I think of Marcus Davenport, you know, um, man, every once in a while, Davenport is just going to, you know, blow up a tackle and make this highlight real play, but he can't do anything else. You know, like, you know, can, can you win any other way? Um, so I think that's the biggest question with Van Ness, you know, is just uh, how much can he develop? You know, um, how much skill can he acquire using his hands? I think is probably the, the the main thing with him, but um, yeah, athletic, physical, powerful for sure. Good starting point there to to work with uh, with Van Ness. Um, I mean, Will McDonald is flash from Iowa State. You know, he has probably the best spin move in the draft. You know, we saw that on tape in Mobile. He's very twitchy. Um, you know, slender kind of guy. Uh, you know, not going to play the run uh, a whole lot in the NFL. At you know his size, it, technique wise, he's good, but He's just very undersized, but very twitched up, uh, explosive guy, loose athlete. Um, he's, he's fun to watch. Um, trying to think. I really like BJ Ojolari as well for the flashes. Kind of similar to McDonald where, you know, he's undersized. But, uh, man, the flashes as a rusher, even back in 2021, uh, there's this move in the NFL called a ghost technique. And um, it's basically – basically like a illustration or like an example of elite bend. Like you can't execute this technique unless you can really bend and you, and you're very quick. He does that very well. Um, that's like kind of a signature move of Vaughn Miller, Brian Burns, uh, guys like that. He has that in his arsenal. Um, so that to me is a guy who's really intriguing, uh, who could be a rotational rusher, um, and maybe more down the road, but, I remember in 2021, he got Evan Neal bad with a ghost technique. Uh, and then this past season, he's done it to a variety of guys. I think he gave Darnell Wright probably uh, a little bit more trouble than Will Anderson did, um, just because he's more of a quick twitch kind of guy uh, with some bend. So, yeah, those guys stand out to me. Um, 
yeah, Will Anderson's obvious, you know, I mean, he's him and Jalen Carter are kind of the, the no brainers, you know, Brandon, we appreciate it, man. That's so much, so much great information. And uh, again, we want to encourage everyone to go check out everything you've been doing over the last few months, because uh, especially these video breakdowns with the prospects themselves, it's unique. Um, you know, you're you're hearing straight from the prospects as they break it down. So you make sure you get check anything out like it anywhere else. No, you check can't. Check out Trench Warfare, uh, the newsletter. It's trenchwarfare.substack.com. It's on, uh, you can find them on YouTube and, of course, on Twitter at Brandon Thorne NFL. Good place to start. Thanks so much, Brandon. Yeah, thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Yeah, the the information there, uh, it's it's uh, outstanding. You can tell he's been watching a lot of Big Ten guys. What's wrong with like? I feel like you and I get accused of being like that we favor the Big Ten too much. But there's yeah. been a lot of damn good players coming well, out of yeah, there. Yeah, it's like one, one. they have a lot of really good prospects this year. Yeah, two, every year. Two, uh, we're not going to make up information. And we've watched, we watch more Big Ten football. It's true. Because of where we live, uh, the schools we affiliate with, whatever, like it's it's just a fact. So uh, we want to give you that information. But so, it, uh, you know, Brandon's in Texas. He's, you know, he's got that. Texas and Big 12 and SEC and all that going on, but he's still talking about these Big 10 guys, so uh, pay attention. I think and his best lineman is Peter Skronsky from Maine South High School outside of Chicago. Yeah, it's crazy. And and by the way, I think whoever gets picked first between John Michael Schmitz and uh, Joe Tipman should automatically get the axe. <laughs> More Big 10 references. Way to go. Just trying to get it back. John Michael Schmitz, also a Chicago kid. Yes. Uh, home with Flossmore, correct? Home with Flossmore. Um, I think he answered my conundrum though. Really? You gotta go. You gotta go D line. No, no, the opposite. I think I'm going offensive line. Even though he was skeptical on, um, Paris Johnson, Roderick Jones, Darnell Wright, any of those guys at number nine. Yes. So the pick is Skaronski. 
You're giving it away. <laughs> there it is. We figured it out. Maybe. I got like three days to change it, so I'll probably delete, re-enter multiple times. Don't go Lucas Van Ness. I learned the hard way. <laughs> Bears fans don't like that. Yeah, I did that too. Yeah. They don't no, he they won't don't want there. that one. Uh I don't they don't want Skaronsky either. The arm leg can't get over it. They don't want anybody. <laughs> they don't want anybody. Trade back. Trade back. You eventually Trade. have to pick someone, everybody. Nope. Acquired 25 draft picks <laughs> for, for 2024. <laughs> and then take a fifth round O-lineman. I don't know. Um, well, that was fun. Brandon, his information is uh, is always good. So make sure you check that out. And uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Adam Hogue, at Adam Johns. Uh, if you, I'm going to bring this up too with, with Brandon, just having been on with us. He... He was kind of critical. We didn't get to this with him because we ran out of time, but he was a little critical of Braxton Jones. Not that he doesn't like Braxton Jones, but just he doesn't necessarily think he's a long-term solution at left tackle. And that's part of this equation. If you know, Depending on who the Bears draft, you move Braxton Jones on the right side. And you know, he had some legitimate like technical criticisms of him. And when Braxton Jones came on CHGO a couple weeks ago, we read him by we. Nick Nick's the one that talked. Nicholas Moriano's the one that talked to Brandon Thorne originally. And so go check that out at allchgo.com. And then Nick brought those criticisms up to Braxton. And Braxton, like, word for word, was like, yep, that's right. That's the same thing Chris Morgan says to him, the Bears offensive line coach. And those are the things he needs to work on. So it was just really fascinating to, like, hear a player validate and analyst criticisms and say, yeah, that's what we're working on. Now, in Brandon's opinion, they're not necessarily all correctable. Obviously, in Braxton's opinion, they are. And he would prefer to stay on the left side. So it'll just be interesting to see how that plays out. But uh, some more for you to chew on. Uh, If you want to go back and find that stuff, I recommend watching or listening to the uh, podcast with Braxton Jones. And again, we thank Brandon Thorne for coming on today. We're out of here. We'll be back next week. It is finally draft week. The GM talks next week. The assistant GM talks next week. Ian Cunningham. Yep. On Tuesday. Um, So we'll break all that down. And of course, uh, whatever happens in the first round and beyond, we'll have it all covered for you next week on Hogue and Johns. Uh, In the meantime, hope everybody has a good weekend. John's any final thoughts? No. Conundrum. Conundrum. The whole draft is. The whole draft is. Um, it is. That's a good <laughs> See ya. Point is, uh, those are some numbers.